Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. A few weeks ago, I picked out a couple different episodes for my wife to choose from for her Valentine's Day guest appearance. She ultimately chose client Mike Pelly from Defense Attorney. This week, we'll be listening to the episode she didn't choose, The Lottery from NBC Presents Short Story. NBC Presents Short Story premiered on February 21st, 1951. The show was established as an extension of NBC University Theater. Each week, the series featured an adaptation of a classic American short story from the premiere episode, based on Ernest Hemingway's story, Fifty Grand, to its final production based on Neil Bell's Three Pair of Heels, which aired on May 30th, 1952. Unfortunately, the show's success was diminished by being preempted seven times over the course of its short run. The Lottery is based on a short story by Shirley Jackson. This version of the story was broadcast only four years after it was first published in The New Yorker. Despite the story's enduring popularity, it was initially met with confusion and anger. Some readers canceled their subscriptions, and the story was actually banned in the Union of South Africa. Eight years after this version of The Lottery was broadcast, Jackson published her most famous work, The Haunting of Hill House. It was turned into a 1963 film that was excellent, and a 1999 film that was not. Recently, the novel also inspired a series by the same name on Netflix. It was this iconic novel that cemented Jackson's reputation as a master of horror, and her skills are already fully evident here in The Lottery, adapted for NBC Presents Short Story, broadcast March 14, 1951. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speakers. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. NBC Presents Short Story. Tonight, Shirley Jackson. She's novelist and short story writer, master of the sunny mood that turns to terror in a single sentence. But her statements are not dark for the sake of darkness, rather for the bitter truth that's in them. Shirley Jackson. Tonight, one of the most dramatic and horrifying of the Shirley Jackson stories, The Lottery. The Lottery, which will be heard immediately following this announcement by the United States Marine Corps. Most of us know the United States Marine Corps is a highly successful fighting organization. And we know that the Corps trains its members to conduct themselves with efficiency, speed, and skill whenever the security of our country is threatened. Much of the success of Marine Corps operations may be directly attributed to the leadership ability of the individual Marine. The qualities of leadership which make a successful Marine are also those which make a successful businessman or statesman. Today, thousands of Marine veterans hold responsible positions in practically every field of endeavor. These men learn to lead, to make swift, intelligent decisions as part of their Marine Corps training. Today, leadership ability is more important than ever. There's an increasing need for capable, efficient leaders in business, government, and community affairs. To become a leader, a man must learn self-discipline. Moreover, he must develop initiative and a sense of responsibility. These are qualities that Marine Corps training develops. 
And that's why no matter what a man's profession, no matter what his chosen career, Marine Corps training will help him get ahead. Here now, The Lottery by Shirley Jackson. for the cows. We won't be back all day. Tomorrow coming, too? Just like Sunday for church? Yeah, that's right. All folks in the town line will be in today for the lottery. I can't find my collar stud. Who took my collar stud? Ah, just don't fret, Grandsire. It's around here somewhere. If I can't find my collar stud, I ain't going. Seventy-seven lotteries I've been to never missed a one. Laura, you find my collar stud, you hear? of a full summer day. The flowers were blossoming, and the grass on the town green in front of the bandstand was a nice, warm summer green. The folks in the village and the farmers inside the township line began to gather in the square between the post office and the bank by about 10 o'clock. School was out for the summer, and the kids came in early to chase around the board sidewalks the way kids will. Bobby Martin and Harry Jones were sitting in front of the post office swapping stones. Bobby had his pockets full already. Nice, smooth, round ones. The girls stood aside, talking among themselves and looking over their shoulders at the boys. And the very small children rolled in the dust or clung to the hands of their older brothers and sisters. Morning, John. Morning, Mr. Summers. Yeah, nice day for the lottery, ain't it? Yes. Had rain yesterday up to the North Village. They got to start the lottery a day ahead to get done. Two hundred families. That's right. Yeah. Got to hustle to get the lottery over with up there. Won't take us more than maybe a couple hours. It seems longer. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it is with the lottery. I was talking it over with Mrs. Summers. It's a suspense makes time go slow. Not slow enough. Uh, you draw this year, don't you? I guess so. Yeah, that's the rule, all right. Stranger in town draws his second year. Morning, Mr. Summers. John. Morning, Morning. Mr. Delacroix. In early, I see. Well, I don't get up to the village often. George don't like to leave the stock. You going to have the store open after? Mm, most likely. It didn't used to be done. Well, you got to be modern, I always say. Excuse me, won't you? Martin's has just got in. It's a nice day for us, though. You can say that for fair. Can't you go faster, Pa? We'll mess everything. Oh, don't worry, Dave. We'll get there in plenty of time. I want to go into Summer's store after to get some patterns. Elsie Dunbar told me he's got some new ones in for short-waisted figures. Let's not talk about it, Tessie. What do you mean? I've got that flowered stuff left over from last year. And if I can get a good pattern... I don't want to talk about after. Oh. Come on, Pa. Can't we go no faster? All right. Up there. Get up. Up there. I was talking to John Gunderson. The school teacher? Mm-hmm. He's got to draw this year. It's only right. Second year in town. I told him I was thinking of 
packing and moving out. Bill Hutchinson, you crazy? I told him I was going to pack the wagon and tie the stock onto the end of it and just move out. You mean just just leave the farm? That's right. I was going to do it before lottery day this year. That's crazy, Bill. Where would you settle? Well, your folks have farmed that ground since heaven knows when. I know. I was going to just move out. It's too late now. Oh, Bill, you talk the same way every year. No sense to it. No, there's no sense to it. A woman sees things like this clearer. You just don't think about it, that's all. You come in for the lottery, then go to Summers and buy something nice. Talk to folks. Why don't you look at it that way, Bill? Uh, I suppose you're right. School teacher agreed with me, though. Go on, get up there. Well, that's the way, Pop. Hurry up, we'll miss all the fun. looking at the kids, talking about planting rain, tractors, taxes, you know. Dickie Delacroix and a couple of kids had made a great big pile of stones in one corner of the square, and they were playing King of the Hill on it. The men stood together away from the pile of stones watching. Their jokes were quiet, and they smiled rather than laughed. Looking folks, aren't they, John? Yeah, they're nice. They don't see them all together except on lottery day. Of course, there's Sunday in church, but some go to the congregational list and some to the Baptist, and folks like the Dunbars don't go nowhere. Morning, mm-hmm. Mr. Summers. Morning, Tessie. I've got those patterns in. I'll be over right after. John. Morning, Bill. Uh, I want to talk to you. Hello, Summers. Morning. Don't worry about me. I've got to see about the box and all for the drawings. Oh, morning, Johnny. How's it going? Well, it's the day. Yeah. You going to draw? I've got to. That's the rules. You said you wouldn't. You sat there in the post office and said you wouldn't. I know, but I'd have to leave town. It isn't easy to get another school this late. Well, anyways, you only draw for yourself. Tessie keeps talking about after. Starts me to sweating. She keeps talking about buying a pattern up to the summer store after. Short-waisted, she said. I suppose you get used to it. I suppose if you've always had it, you don't think about it. I don't. I lived in the village all my life. I don't get used to it. Father, can hmm? I stay with Dickie Delacroix? Can I stay with him? No, you got to stay with the family, Davy. Oh, the other kids got all the stones. Can I stay with uh, them? Davy, I said, Davy, come here. Da- Davy. Look at that. He's having fun. All the kids are having fun. Why? That's what I want to know. Why? You're a farmer. You know the answer. You told me you couldn't find anything in the book says it has to be. It stands to reason you find it in the books, don't it? This isn't my part of the country, Hutchinson. I don't make the rules. You don't stand to reason you could try to find out the truth. That's all I say. You can't argue with the folks about the lottery. I've tried. No, you can't argue with folks. Well, anyways, it's a nice day for it. Right. 
right. I've been telling them year after year it ain't right. Now, Grandsire, take it easy. Now, you listen to me, Floyd Summers. I'm the oldest man in the village. Seventy-seven years I've been in the lottery. Seventy-seven years. Yeah, I know that, Mr. Warner, but you But don't be... butt me. No, sir, don't butt me. I know what's right about the lottery. It ought to be chips of wood. One chip with the name of every family, all in the big black box. Well, we can't do it that way, Grandsire. You know that. The box ain't big enough. That's the way it was when I was a boy. Chips of wood. None of this here bitty pieces of paper. Paper, huh? What kind of a lottery do you expect to have with paper? Well, there's too many folks in the village for wood anymore. Uh, nobody pays any mind to the old ways. There ought to be marching, too. I, I remember marching and, and somebody sort of, of chanting like. That's what there ought to be on lottery day. Uh, that was a long time ago. Nobody remembers that anymore. Yes, yeah, the trouble. Nobody remembers. Now, you take that black yeah, box. It's cracking. Uh, we ought to make a new one. A uh, new one? Listen to him. A new box. Why, they used that box in my father's time for the lottery. And he told me it's made from the pieces of the box in his grandfather's time. Now, you're supposed to be in charge of that box. Why, I saw it year before last, lying in Graves' barn. And this year, it sat right on the shelf in your store. Now, is that any way to take care of that box? They don't run the lottery the way they used to. Hey, I've been in it 77 years, and I ought to know. Tessie, come here. What? Oh, excuse me, Miss Delacroix. All right, Tessie. Tessie. Now, what is it, Bill? Where's Davy? Playing with the other children there by the stone. Get him over here. Why? We're hitching up and getting out. Oh, we've got to wait for the drawing. We can't go now. I said we're going now. Oh, Bill, don't be silly. First place, we came all the way into the village for the lottery. Second place, summers won't be open till after, and I want to get those patterns. What? After? Don't you understand? Suppose, suppose... Bill, I'm surprised at you. Why, nobody else acts this way. You, you've just got to take it as it comes. You're a farmer. You know that. What's that got to do with it? Well, you didn't take on when the hog died of cholera before killing time. You just went on. But that's different. It just happened. You can't help it if something goes. go. No, I won't. Neither will you. I don't get into the village often, and lottery day is one time I can see all the other women and talk. I'm not going back till it's all over supper time. <laughs> My goodness, Bill, you'd think it was something unusual. Lottery comes every year. It always has. The lottery was conducted as were the square dances, the teenage club, and the Halloween program by Mr. Summers who had time and energy to devote to civic affairs. He was a round-faced, jovial man, and the people were sorry for him, because he had no children, and his wife was a scold. He was busy in the middle of the square with a little black box, setting it up and balancing it on a three-legged stool. Hey, one of you folks want to give me a hand with the box? Uh, uh, Mr. Martin? All right, boy. Hey, just hold it on the corner, steady. Watch his hand, Summers. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to do this fair and square just like always. Now, last night up at the coal company office, Mr. Graves and I made up the slips of paper. There ought to be chips of wood. What kind of piddling lottery can you have with... Now, grandsire, don't you interrupt Mr. Summers. There's a the box here. Anybody wants to can haul them out and check them over. Time now for the swearing in. Mr. Graves will administer the oath to me. I expect, as usual, we'll waive election. There used to be no election. Used to pass from father to son. All right, all right. 
You, Floyd Summers, solemnly swear to carry out the duties of this lottery without fear or favor of prejudice, bias, or any other untoward act of omission or commission, so help you. I do. You tell <laughs> well, I expect now we're ready. We'll proceed as usual, drawn by families according to the rules. Wait a minute. Huh? Wait a minute, Lloyd Summers. Oh, looks like another interruption. Oh, morning, Mrs. Martin. How do you like that? Clean forgot what day it was. Hello, Tess. Good morning. How are you? I thought my old man was out back stacking wood. Then I looked out the window and the kids <laughs> was gone, and I remembered it was the 27th and came a-running. Did I miss anything? Oh, you're in time. They're still talking away up there. It was just beginning, Mrs. Martin, now you just take your place with your family. Your hands still wet from the dishwater. Oh. Well, now I guess we better get started. Yeah. Let's get this over with so as you can get back to work. Yeah. Uh, ain't anybody here? Huh? Well, now let's. This ain't the drawing. Just checking the list. Yeah. Now, uh, Adams. Adams. Well, I'm glad to see you. I missed you last Saturday. I guess you made it after all, huh, Miss Martin? Well, now, Tessie, between you and me, I knew it was lottery day, but you wouldn't have me leave the dishes in the sink now, would you? Dunbar. 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 Come on, Dunbar. Hold on for Dunbar. Clyde broke his leg, didn't he? Now, who's drawing for Well, I guess I draw. Oh, that's right. That's the rule. Wife draws for husband. Except you've got a grown boy to do it for you, haven't you, Jenny? Well, Horace is not for 16 yet. Guess i got to fill in for the old man this year. All right, I got that check. Watson boy drawing this year? Yeah. Oh, there you are, Charlie. Good to see your mother's got a man to do it. I suppose old man Warner's here. You know darn well I'm here, Floyd Summers. I was just talking to you. I ain't missed the lottery in 77 years. <laughs> All right, friends. I was just joking. <laughs> well, that gets the list straight. All the rest is straight family. Unless anybody's got anything to add, we're ready for the drawing. Now then, Adams. Adams. Yeah. Oh, hi, Steve. Just draw any one. Don't look at it till after. Yeah. Next, Adamson. Adamson. Yeah. Right, that does it. Anderson. Anderson. Seems like they changed the order drawn, don't it, Tessie? Oh, no, that's the way it's always been. Seems like there's just no time at all between lotteries anymore. Seems like we got through with the last one only last week. I declare the way time flies. Time sure goes fast. Delacroix. Delacroix. There goes my old man. Now, don't worry, Agnes. Dunbar. Dunbar. Is that you, Janie? Well, you ladies will excuse me. Come on, Janie, you're holding us up. There she goes. I'm coming. Well, folks shouldn't hold up the lottery. It takes up a perfectly good morning as it is. Well, last year, I didn't get time for half the things I meant to do in town. You're right, Tessie. My old man says he don't like lottery day, because I always run the bill up at summer sky high. Gunderson. John Gunderson. Oh, there goes the schoolmaster. I'm not going to draw, Mr. Summers. <laughs> now, John, you know the rules. This is your second year in the village. I know. But I'm not going to draw. Now, don't be contrary, boy. Everybody draws in the lottery. What makes you better, schoolmaster? I don't believe in it. Now, that isn't the point, John, and you know it. Listen to him. He don't believe in the lottery. You hear that? Now, take it easy, Grandpa. We've always had the lottery. Everybody knows that. Always have and always will. Over in the North Village, they're talking of giving up the lottery. Ah, a pack of crazy fools in North Village. Listen to this idiot. Nothing's good enough for him. Next thing you know, they'll be wanting to go back to living in caves. Nobody work anymore. Live like that for a while. They don't have the lottery up where I come from. Stopped it years ago. Yeah, maybe so, but we ain't fools. Not here. Used to be a saying. 
Lottery in June, corn will grow soon. Now you listen to him with his books and ciphering. First thing you know, we'll all be eating stewed chickweed and acorns. You're right, Grandpa. There always been a lottery. Bad enough it ain't what it used to be with Floyd Summers up there joking and all. But there's always been a lottery. But why? Why? I tell you, they've stopped it up north more villages every year. And the corn grows just as high. Ah, nothing but trouble in that. Pack of fools. Ah, you ain't no farmer, Gunderson. Old man won't his right. Yes, sir. Lottery in June, corn will grow soon. That's the way it's always been. Yeah, you yeah. can't get around that, schoolmaster. Lottery in June. But nobody knows you've never tried. You just go on and on every year the same yeah, way. You're darn tootin'. And we're going right on just like we always done. What call is a young outsider to talk that way on Lottery Day? That's what I'd like now to know. Get Seventy-seven tired. years but I've been coming to see the there's lottery. no reason for it. No reason. Year after year for generations on June 27th. If you'd only think. If you'd only try. If you were willing to use reason instead of blind obedience to a crazy outworn yeah, tradition. Yeah, that'll be about enough, John. You spoke your piece. Now we better get down to business. Rules say if anybody balks, the committee draws for him. Now, is that right, folks? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, I'm going to call you again, regular and proper. If you stand mute, we'll go right on and draw for you. Now, which is it? All right. All right, I'll draw. Fine. Fine. Now, let's get on. Hutchinson? Yes. Bill Hutchinson. Get on up there, Bill. There goes your man, Tessa. Imagine the schoolmaster making such a fuss. He's no better than the rest if everybody draws on lottery day. All right, sir. Now the last one. Warner. Uh, yes, sir. I'm right here. All right, Grandsire. <laughs> Take it easy. It's no rush. Yeah. This makes the 77th year I've been in the lottery. Yes, sir. 77 times. Uh, uh, draw your slip now. Yeah. All right. It's all done. Martin, close the box. Yeah. <laughs> Who's got it? What family? I ain't, I ain't got it. Grandpa, let me see your paper. Let me you see let it. go of my hand, you hear? I can take care of myself. Ma, Ma, is it us? Is it us, Ma? Well, for goodness sake, what family is it? Who's got it? All right, all right, all right, folks. Now, let's do this orderly. Now, now, come on. Now, what family's got the black slip? It's the Hutchinsons. There. Look, Bill Hutchinson's got it. Hutchinson's? Yeah, that's right. Aggie. Aggie, you run tell your father it's the Hutchinsons. Go on, run. It isn't fair. It isn't fair. Like Summers, I saw you. You didn't give him time to take any slip he wanted. I saw you. It wasn't fair. Now, Tessie, be a good sport. All of us took the same chance. It isn't fair, I tell you. It isn't fair. Shut up, Tessie. Well, now, everybody, that was done pretty fast. Just one hour or two minutes. Now, we've got to be hurrying a little more to get done before noon. It wasn't fair. Now, Bill, uh, let's see. Uh, you draw for the Hutchinson family, don't you? You got any other households in the Hutchinson? There's Don and Eva. Make them take their chance. Make them draw. Now, Tessie, Eva's your daughter, but she's married now. Daughters draw with her husband's families. You know that as well as anyone else. Oh, sure. It wasn't fair. I guess that's it, Joe. My daughter draws with her husband's family. That's only fair. Well, now, Bill? I guess there's just us, Floyd. Davy, Tessie, and me. All right, now. And as far as drawing for families is concerned, it's you. And as far as drawing for households is concerned, that's you, too. Guess that's right. Martin, you give me the tickets for the Hutchinsons, all three of them. You got their tickets back? I got them. They're in the box, Lloyd. All set, then. I... 
I think we ought to start over. No, Tessie. I tell you, it wasn't fair. You didn't give him time enough to choose. Everybody's all that. Now, we'll have to get on now. Are you ready, Bill? Listen, everybody, listen. Baby pick first, then you, then Tessie. Now, you got that? Here, help little Dave. Davy, come here. Sheriff, it wasn't fair. Miss Delacroix, you can see they didn't give him time. Now, don't make a fuss, Tessie. It ain't fitting. All right now, Bill. You take the slips and keep them folded till everybody picks. Come on, Davy. Go on, son. Now, Davy, I, I want you to pick a piece of paper out of this box and hold tight. You understand? Sure, Mrs. Summers. All right. Pick now. <laughs> just, just one paper, Davy. I got one. Good. Now, you better hold it for him, Martin. All set. All right, Bill. One paper. That's right. Now, Tessie. Oh, no, no, it wasn't fair. Tessie, you've got to draw. Come on, Tessie. <laughs> All right. All right. I hope it ain't the child. Don't yes, you right. It's it used to be. I tell you, it ought to be chips of wood. Lottery ain't like it used to be. People ain't the way they used to be. Oh, Quiet now, folks. Now, let's open the papers. Davy, Come on, Davy. Open your paper. There's nothing on it. Well. Bill? Mine's blank. Then I guess it's Tessie. Oh, no. No. Show us her paper, Bill, just for the rules. Tessie, open your hand. No, 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 no. Come on, now. Open your hand. No, no. Yeah, Tessie, all right. Mom, I'm going over by the pile of stones, all right? All right, folks. Let's finish quickly now. No, no, no. Oh, Bill! Bill! No, it's Bill! It's too late, Tessie. There's nothing I can do. Come on, Miss Delacroix. We better get a good stone before they're all gone. Oh, Dickie will save one for me. Well, hurry up. She'll be running soon. It wasn't fair. There wasn't time. Oh, Bill! Bill, please, Bill! You heard him, Tessie. Lottery in June. Corn will grow soon. It isn't true. Ma, here's a stone for you. Here, Ma. Oh, that's a nice boy, Dickie. What a nice big stone. Uh, you'll have to go ahead and I'll catch up with you. Can't run at all with arthritis in my knees. All right. There's Davy. Davy, Davy, come here. Yes, ma'am. Now, here's a little stone for you. Take it. Sure. Now, you come along with me, Davy. Sure, I want, Mr. Fun. We've got to run after Ma now, huh? That's right, Davy. Come on. Listen, everybody, they didn't give me time. It wasn't fair. Come on, everybody. Agnes, help me. Come on, Davy. Throw your stone. Go on. Throw your stone. Oh, it isn't fair. It isn't right. Oh, Bill. Bill, you can't let them not me. It can't be me. Oh, it wasn't fair. They can't do it to me. Agnes, Emily, you can't. You can't really not me. Go on, Davy. Now throw your stone. Oh, no, no, not the stone. No, it isn't right. Oh, Davy. Davy, my own baby. Stone. Stone. <laughs> and taxes, and the women gathered in summers and bought yard goods and patterns and notions. The little children played in the dust throwing pebbles at each other. The lottery was over for this year. Lottery in June, corn will grow soon. Next year, 
Next June 27th. Well, maybe we'll learn. Maybe there'll be no lottery. Maybe we'll begin to reason, to find the truth. Maybe we'll find out we don't have to pick out folks in the lottery just because our fathers and their fathers did it. Because it always was that way. Maybe next year there won't be a lottery. It's up to all of us. Chances are there will be, though. The Lottery by Shirley Jackson, whose novel The Hangsman will be published soon. The adaptation was by Ernest Canoy of NBC. In tonight's cast, Mrs. Summers was Louise Larimer. Summers was Charles Field. Mrs. Delacroix was Gail Bonney. Dickey was Johnny McGovern. Hutchinson was Jeff Corey. Davy was Jeffrey Silver. Warner was Stephen Chase. Mrs. Dunbar was Irene Tedrow. The schoolmaster was Jim Nusser. Tessie was Margaret Brayton. Graves was Jack Nessel. The folk music was by Morris King. Your announcer, Don Stanley. The director of NBC Presents Short Story is Andrew C. Love. Be with us again two weeks from tonight as NBC Presents Short Story. On that occasion, a powerful story of machine politics and corruptible men. Shadow of Evil by James Aswell. Hear it two weeks from tonight. And in the meantime, bear in mind this message from the United States Marine Corps. United States Marine Corps training is training for leadership and training for life. If you were to examine the biographies of many of America's most successful and prominent businessmen, statesmen, and athletes, you would find that they received their basic leadership training in the Marine Corps. The ability to think quickly and precisely developed by these men as Marines now stands them in good stead as civilians. One of the first things a Marine learns is how to take care of himself. As a result, self-sufficiency becomes one of his most prominent characteristics. And in learning to care for himself, he also learns to care for his comrades and to direct their activities intelligently. In short, he learns how to lead. The young man who today is considering the various services may well give serious thought to this important aspect to Marine Corps training. No matter how he plans to earn his living in later years, Marine Corps training is leadership training and will help him to succeed. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. That was The Lottery from NBC Presents Short Story here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. Tim, that was your pick this yes. week. Uh, actually, your wife's pick. This was <laughs> my wife's not picked. <laughs> right. This was her runner-up, so yes, to speak. Yes. Uh, when she did the Valentine's Day show with us, I want to start with uh, why did she pick the other one and not this one? What was the flip of the coin for her? She did not express a particular sort of judgment over them. I think she leaned towards defense attorney as I did for that, just because Mercedes McCambridge in a leading role. It was so awesome. I'm going to say she did, and you just didn't listen. 
probably. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you wanted to bring it because you love Shirley Jackson? Yes, and also that she had specifically said, I'm, I'm interested in a, a woman writer, and Shirley Jackson yeah. is a phenomenal woman writer. Right. Well, just phenomenal writer. I remember being forced to read this, yeah. like every kid, like, here's your short story, and and as I was listening to it, I was like, oh, some of this is coming back to me from being 17 years old in high school and having to read this. It was really interesting to listen to this knowing full well what the ending was because it's written intentionally to surprise you yes. at the end. So all that's left when you hear this story now in any kind of adaptation is the execution, so to speak, yep. of it. How is it directed? How is it adapted? How is it performed? Uh, and in this case, uh, for radio, how, how does it sound? Uh, how is the Foley? So it kind of tempers it a little bit when you're like, okay, I can't judge it on the story anymore. I have to judge it on how are they doing this story. And now you know what thing. it's like to be me, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> You that's finally so, read the original. That's so true. That well, is your life, isn't it? I originally read this in late elementary school, I think, fifth or sixth grade, and it had a huge impact on me because, honestly, it was a major end of childhood moment mm, because I had right. never been given something in school that had such a horrible ending to it. This was like the first time I was challenged by art. Mm -hmm. And some of it was the shock of the story, but some of it was also the shock that a teacher gave it to me. And I also had this kind of slight <laughs> lack of trust. Are you going to show me pictures of dead puppies tomorrow, teacher? What's right, going right, to happen right. every day at school now? Everything has changed. <laughs> I can trust nothing anymore. It's interesting. Right before we started recording tonight, I got my daughter, uh, picked her up from school, came in here, and I happened to look at her backpack and her stuff she threw down before we came down in here started to record and i did not know this but on her bed with her books is slaughterhouse five mm -hmm. and i went yep here it comes <laughs> <laughs> they're giving her things to read now that are tough. Uh, really tough and i went oh and i had a moment as a parent of wanted to grab it off her bed and go no 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 you know what no. <laughs> Lord of the Flies even had that kind of impact yeah. on me to a certain extent of, oh, innocence gone. And The book for me that had that ending just, that turned me was 1984. Yeah. Oh, I so remember reading that book and getting like, man, there's like 30 pages left. How are they going to pull this out? There's going to be some big <laughs> twist here. To... <laughs> oh. Right. Yeah. Tim, you're a huge fan of Shirley Jackson. What did you think of the adaptation of this? Well, I don't want to say huge fan. Like I know all of her stuff. I, I just right. I really enjoy the things I have read. Right. Even even knowing how the story ends, it's fun for me to go back and see how the pieces get put together. Mm -hmm. You see the clues as they're laid that come together. It's like, oh, this was there all along. And my love of Shirley Jackson really is, and like I say, of the stuff I have read, mm. it is just that the story is. And I'm undercutting myself every step of the way. But I'll go ahead and just say, the stories she writes, the plots are so twisty and unpredictable and interesting and compelling. The characters are rich and dynamic and interesting to spend time with. And just the words themselves, you know, sentence by sentence, are really well put together. Right. Uh, then weaknesses for her are, uh, she's done writing now. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
my little Shirley Jackson job interview kind of. Yeah, I think my problem with this adaptation is I'm too in love with the short story. Mm. So it falls pretty short they, for me. What did they subtract or it's, add? It's what they added. Mm-hmm. I should back up too and say one of the reasons I think this is one of the greatest short stories that I can think of because it is a classic that stands the test of time. If you're doing a short yeah. story podcast in that every era in which you read this story it feels like it's talking about right now in yeah, some way fact. it is yeah. so open to different readings on different levels of what she is talking about what she's critiquing mm-hmm. and i feel like in this one it is too on the nose mm-hmm. he inserts the school character who objects to the lottery and talks about how we must have reason and think through these traditions so he's adds characters that give a specific reading of the story. And I'm not saying it's a bad reading of the story. I think that is one level you can read the story at, but it goes much deeper in the real story. And by adding that, it limits the scope of the story. And I don't think they needed to do that to interpret it. Mm -hmm. However, it could be, as Tim pointed out in the introduction, that a lot of people responded very negatively. And they may have felt like in order to interpret interpret this for a wider audience we need to make sure they are a prepared for it because the intro has all this stuff (laughs) about like she's a terrible dark writer but she doesn't write just for the sake of darkness he really front loads this like i don't want to lose you listeners (laughs) wait for it this has a deeper meaning and then the speech at the end when he's talking one day maybe we'll adopt reason and Mm -hmm. we'll give up these traditions and it's just heavy-handed heavy-handed it feels Mm -hmm. very preachy I was surprised to to read about the negative reaction to it, which uh, I don't know if that's widely known, but that was exactly the sort of reaction they got. People didn't understand what, well, one was, I guess, some people like, were curious, does this actually happen? Do people really do this? <laughs> um, well, no, but yes. On Forlorn 7 in Voyager <laughs> Season 4. <laughs> you guys are with me for a second. I, my point being is that this story by Shirley Jackson has been recreated many times in many different ways. I almost started our podcast was that was Mockingjay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that concept of a lottery of some sort is way overdone. Is this the first example of that? Uh, it's I, a really it's good hard because it, it strikes such a sort of primal core that it feels like well that's based on something real or Mm, right well i mean on the most surface reading which i think is what ernest canoy here does with this script is that it's essentially a fertility right the only like in-story explanation for the lottery Mm -hmm. is you know lottery in june corn will be heavy (laughs) grow soon whatever it is so they're literally um sacrificing somebody for a bountiful harvest right But I think to limit the reading of it to, you know, reason versus superstition, like I said, limits the story. It's it's the most surface level reading of it. I felt like they got in this adaptation, even if it wasn't explicit, like, you know, we like it better not explicit, is that when they actually do start stoning her, Mm -hmm. that there is this laughter, this joy, this enthusiasm, Mm -hmm. that this whole process is a way to make sadism okay for a one day a year and the irony with tessie of course is that she has normalized it <laughs> up to the point that it's going to happen to her right mm-hmm. because she's she's picking out her dress and doing all this and then she literally says not me right. <laughs> not me this isn't fair um right 
and I think it is well done uh, performance-wise in a lot of the yeah. aspects of the script. I think that final moment where the lady takes Davy away from Tessie and gives him rocks to yeah. throw at his mother is a horrifying <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> moment. The thump and the scream is really... I hate it when I say this stuff about horrible things, but it's really well done and awesome. But the it, thump and scream... And it bleeds are, and into it bleeds the cheers, cheers of the yeah. crowd. And yeah. It's yeah. I think that was a fantastic, chilling moment. Uh, going back to this story being done a lot, after I listened to this, I watched Rick and Morty, and it was the episode where they went to the planet where they had murder day or whatever it was called, and they get one night to, oh, yeah, yes. to kill each other. I went, you know, this trope, so to speak, is done a lot in this sense of, purge of... Uh, this purge, yeah. Um, but what's interesting to me is that those are always either alien planets or dystopian futures what is interesting here is that yeah. it is not just contemporary it even steps back a little and mm -hmm. portrays this very wholesome appealing small town in which this horrific thing happens so it, it doesn't put it off to something like this is what could happen to us mm -hmm. it feels this is a danger right now right. and it ties it to these ceremonies that hold communities together of like parades Mm -hmm. um, these things that <laughs> that's, that's just had written down. I miss Lottery Day marches too. <laughs> but these little wholesome community traditions that yeah. that really do make a positive impact on people's mm -hmm. lives and get them in touch with their neighbors and great things, and that this lottery would be fantastic if you didn't kill somebody as part of it. <laughs> Joshua said at the top here about how this story itself stands the test of time because you can apply it to everything. I, I was taken by the man that wanted the, the lottery day marches back and everything the written on chips. wood and the wood chips. Oh, and, yeah. But it's interesting. Yeah, the, the idea of the fear of change mm -hmm. and the fear of learning that we may not have been right and how defensively that gets met. And no matter how many times throughout the course of history, we prove to ourselves that we don't have all the answers and sometimes we need to adapt or possibly throw things away and start over as we learn things. There's still this huge uproar over it. There's no acceptance over the idea that we have proven that things need to evolve and change in the way our thinking changes. But we will not let it go. And I think that representation in here is yeah. really interesting. What I also enjoy about that is there's a certain level of dark humor in it too because he literally objects to every single thing about the lottery except killing a person <laughs> <laughs> it's like everything else is wrong with it right well i, I love the implications of what the lottery used to be in his day of like you know it'd be marching and chanting <laughs> what was that World War II Germany. <laughs> That's where he was. Usually I reject slippery slope arguments as it can go any direction, but sort of when he's arguing, well, now we have paper instead of wood, so soon we'll stop doing it. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that the other villages in the area have stopped doing it, and yeah. that maybe if they had been rigidly adhered to marching, chanting, and wooden ships, it would not be stopped. And again, I, there's seven things... In the news right now, I could apply that to. Yeah. Other people are changing. Why are we not looking at that? And but what's great about this story is in 20 years, people will be looking at something in the news, and it'll be something totally different in the news, and they'll be going, yep, it's just like the lottery, right? Yeah. Because it, it's yep. talking about, on a fundamental level, a human condition. Nothing to do with politics, having no, right. nothing to do with no matter what, a we certain don't time. Yes, so I think that's what's 
so brilliant about this story? This is such a digression, and I'm so sorry, but I started watching The Orville. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because the reason I love it is what you were just talking about is that this is about human nature. And no matter what we get technology-wise or what kind of evolution we go through, we always seem to be the same basic thing. And why I like the Orville is because we have all this fancy stuff and we're in space now and there's a, you know, all of these things. And yet still they act like we do today, you know, the reactions to things, which is supposedly supposed to be the comedy of it. And I don't find it to be comedic. I find it to be really truthful. Like I've always said, watching Star Trek, uh, like how come their computer never freezes? How can they never get the spinning wheel of death? And I really like that series for that reason, that it's taken that idea of we really don't change much at all. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing over and over again. Now I'm going to go the exact opposite of what I just said about how, <laughs> how it applies to all times and all places and say it is interesting to look at a couple things that are going on when she writes this story. And one thing I recently read, one interpretation of this that I'd never thought of, was that this was 1948. Yeah. And that this was sort of a post-war idea to say, hey, we've spent five, six years looking outward Mm-hmm. and pointing our finger at evil in other mm-hmm. parts of the mm-hmm. world, and that we'd been kind of used to not looking at ourselves as right. a country. I've also read that she just came out and said, yeah, I also, it also reminds me of the small town I lived in. So on, on a really <laughs> shallow surface level, she's just going like, yeah, small towns can be really unwelcoming. So I just love that span from the most <laughs> petty to the most like cosmic human condition. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will say, like I said at the top, that I was forced to read this at some point. One of the reasons I do this podcast and my love with old-time radio is I'm I'm an audio uh, learner. L- listening is my deal, and so reading is hard on my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say this. I did enjoy this short story a lot better with fiddle music. <laughs> I love that music. That was great. I did. I said, well, if there could be fiddle music... <laughs> And I think all reading would be better with fiddle music. <laughs> and I felt like that whoever it was playing a bold the fiddle choice. <laughs> would always just start Home on the Range and then just start vamping before they really got to the point of fully playing Home on the Range. Because <laughs> they didn't have the rights to Home yeah. on the Range. <laughs> <laughs> there was something also very odd, and I can't quite put my finger on it. I'm hoping one of you guys can elaborate on this a little better for me. I can't quite put it into words, but there's something really odd about this episode being sponsored by the Marine Corps. I was thinking the same thing. And I want to, the caveat being, I know a lot of fine people in the military. This is not just a blanket critique of the military, but when the story itself is about questioning tradition and authority, (laughs) it is very strange to to have it (laughs) sponsored by Somebody in advertising at the Marine Corps called and said, wait, wait, no, not this episode. (laughs) No. It was supposed to be on Animal Farm. (laughs) Oh, wait. (laughs) Even the Marine Corps over time has its traditions questioned and changes and evolves. It happens. Yes, Yes, it does. Absolutely. It's jarring and ironic on a surface level. Yes, it's obviously more complicated than... Marines bad, lottery good. (laughs) Right. I'm just saying, I went, wow, that's... (laughs) No, I wrote the same thing. It made me smile. We've been talking a lot about the the short story itself. Mm -hmm. This actual adaptation and performance of this short story, and we've, we've hit on a couple things, and I'll just 
Same again. I thought the acting was great. It's fantastic. Tessie's change mm-hmm. um, <laughs> when she's screaming for her life mm-hmm. uh, in contrast to her shallowness about mm-hmm. picking out the short-waisted dress patterns. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> small and mundane, and then she dies. And that the music, as I just mentioned, was great. It was it matched, and it worked, mm-hmm. and it moved things along. I thought the foley was great. As I mentioned earlier, that thump and scream of the stone on Tessie is hard mm-hmm. and, and really well done, and it, as it morphs into the cheering crowd. Uh, so on that level, I guess the only question I had for you guys, being a little more literary than I am, is... Does it do justice to the original piece of writing? And if it does, then I'm willing to say this is extremely well done. Mm -hmm. And and again, though, it's hard because I know the ending. So it's hard to get into this when you're like, well, we know where it's going. But I I really liked it. I think the production values, the performance, the direction, everything about this is high caliber. The heavy handedness by Ernest Canoy at the end and his addition of the school teacher character who is moralistic and speaks against the lottery really hurts it for me personally. I also think there's a little sexism in here, uh, you know, especially when you're dealing with a fantastic writer like Shirley Jackson where it's not just the male school teacher but it's also Bill Hutchinson which they alter slightly from the story too where he is also hesitant about the lottery and right Kanoi makes tessie far more shallow in this version than she is in the short story so you've mm-hmm. got this version of the lottery with two smart right men of reason and there's <laughs> there's no female equivalent of that the, right. the women are all on board and it's just two men who are thinking of standing up to it um so that irked me a little too i i will agree with all of that my understanding is that they not only added the uh the narrator's proselytizing at the end, but they also added a little bit of scene of going back to normal afterwards. Mm-hmm. Which I actually liked. I did too, I did yeah. as well. That was an, a nice touch. And they did the same thing at the front. Like, they have these scenes of yeah, everyone little... getting ready to go to the lottery. It's not... So I don't object to additions. You need to pat it out. It's actually a really short, short story. But those additions felt really true to the story. Mm-hmm. I think it's time to throw it to a vote. Uh, this is, uh, I think, one of my favorite Mockingjay movies. <laughs> <laughs> I had to watch those because of my daughter, and I actually liked them. They weren't aimed at me, but I did enjoy them. But that is the lottery. Yeah, I like the books better, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the books tend to have a lot of reading involved. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'll start uh, by saying, based on my limited remembering of the short story, and, of course, not having any kind of ground to stand on on what is a good adaptation and not uh, just as something to sit down and listen to that it kept my attention and I was pretty riveted by it. Knowing the ending, I give it a high, high mark for that because it would be really easy to check out and go, well, just get to the thing. Uh, So I will say it definitely stands the test of time. Yeah. I listened to it several times and enjoyed it every time. The uh, little snippets of character were very effective for making a big impact at the end. There was a little phrase that I, I assume came from the original short story just because it was so good of um, standing around making jokes and smiling but not laughing. That's from the short story, yeah. <laughs> it's very nice. Yes, yeah, so it stands the test of time, both content, technical-wise, lots of good stuff there. Yeah, I definitely uh, think it stands the test of time. I'm not going to give it a classic because of the on-the-nose moralizing 
I'm going to give it a little bit of a pass, though, because there's a part of me that thinks they maybe felt they had to do it in order to put it on the air. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely stands the test of time. And I love the story. Which I don't fault them for. As a Mm -hmm. director of high school theater, I am doing a show (laughs) right now where I've got to put in the director's notes. This takes place in 1911. So don't get mad. This is from an era and a certain time. Yeah, please no angry hot takes right, <laughs> right away. Just we under- give it some context, people. Right. Give it the context. Uh, I should have put this in earlier, but I was trying to figure out if they were doing that Radio for College. I think that was the, the name of the program. Where uh, NBC University Theater. Yes, that yes. was the main thing, but I think the short story was part of that, and then it wasn't, and then it was again. Okay. Somebody got college credit for listening to this, I believe. Yeah, that was the deal with NBC University Theater, which was really cool. You would read the book and then listen to the radio show. (laughs) That is my kind of (laughs) nerddom. Think of the master's degree I would have. (laughs) My college, they had a course in uh, classic uh, movies. That's where I saw Citizen Kane for the first time. It's where I saw Buster Keaton films for the first time. It was a whole quarter of uh, North by Northwest. I mean, it was gorgeous. And it was in the theater. We were encouraged to bring our pillows. They turned the lights on. (laughs) We watched the movie. And at the end of the quarter, the test was all about plot to make sure you were there. Mm. And now the professor did talk at the end and at the beginning a little bit, Mm -hmm. much like we do here. Uh, Here's some things you should know about Orson Welles and the significance of this and blah, blah, blah. Now watch it. And that's all the course was. And at the end, like just checking to make sure you were here and actually watched it. And I got my A and was exposed. And I was like, oh man, why can't all of college be this? (laughs) That's learning. So, all right, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. That's also where we have information about our live shows because we do live shows. We'll be doing another live show soon. Uh, and you can read about it at ghoulishdelights.com. That's also a spot to find our uh, links to our social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, leave comments on episodes right on our contact page. Just say whatever, however you want to. Yeah, you can also go to iTunes and write a review for this podcast because we do love those reviews. Um, also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash the morals and become a member of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. Be warned, though, at the end of the year, we are going to do a lottery mm-hmm. and get rid of <laughs> one of you so that the podcast can continue for another year. <laughs> that was my guess on what you were going to do. <laughs> it's a little on the nose, just like this adaptation. All right, so what's coming up next? Next, we have a listener request. It's an episode of The Whistler called Death Wears a White Robe. Until then, 